Hi, and welcome to the FVCC Nature Journal, the podcast for everyone who loves nature. We are coming to you from the beautiful campus of Flathead Valley Community College, the foot of the Swan Mountain Range, my favorite mountain range, in northwest Montana. I'm John Fraley, longtime instructor in wildlife conservation here at the college, and I also served 40 years with the Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. So in the Nature Journal, we've been focusing on the critters and quirks of nature found on the campus, the wide surrounding Flathead Basin, and all across Montana and beyond. Our producer is Colin Burkhardt, an employee here at the FVCC Library. And thanks to Morgan Ray, the library director, for offering the library as our podcast home. Well, today we're going to be talking about a ghost. That's the ghostly woodland caribou. Very elusive. I call it ghostly because it's so elusive and sometimes resident of Montana. Not actually resident, but it dips into Montana and out of Montana. And we have an expert here today to talk to us about that. I love the scientific name of the woodland caribou, Rangifer tyrandus caribou. It's a great name, isn't it? It is a great name. <laughs> That's right. And so it's so intrepid and far north, and it's a subspecies of reindeer. So Taylor Rose is here joining us today. He is a student here at Flathead Valley Community College, and he actually developed a project in my wildlife class a few years ago, and he has now taken it to the next level. He's going to be actually doing a graduate project at the University of Idaho, and we'll, we'll learn more about that. But Taylor, tell us about the habitat of these reindeer, of these, uh, well, they are actually a type of reindeer. They are a type of reindeer, yeah. actually. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about their, their habitat. So woodland caribou inhabit the boreal forests. It inhabited the boreal forests in northwest Montana, but still inhabit the boreal forests of British Columbia, parts of southeast Alaska, um, and also even north, parts of northern Idaho and northeast Washington. And they like the deep, uh, wet, dark, old-growth forests. Uh, they prefer areas that are also high in elevation, 4,000 feet to about 6,000 feet, and their entire habitat range encompasses about 30 square miles, and they move around a lot from season to season, uh, migrating from different areas. Now, exciting part about this is you were talking about how students shouldn't be discouraged if they feel like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm at a community college, but... It's going to be hard to take it to the next level. Tell us about your encouraging words about that. Every great idea has got to start somewhere, and some ideas have more humble origins than others. It was funny enough, I mean, I knew about that Montana had caribou, but then I took your class in preparation for graduate school, and then you sort of just opened the door. You presented the project, and I wanted to do it on caribou, and one thing came together with another, and next thing you know, I'm writing, instead of a 10-page paper, I wanted to do a gigantic, turned out to be about 85 pages with <laughs> appendices and maps. And you worked for months on it, and We're, you talked yeah. to every expert. You, yep. our, our wildlife people actually had some expertise in caribou here at, at Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, and you just you checked on the Canadian stuff, and the Idaho stuff. I was very impressed, so you've come up with this, and, and uh, pretty rare for a community college student. It is, it is rare, um, but it doesn't have to necessarily be rare. If you have a passionate idea and an idea that excites you, take it, run with it, and be humble about it, and uh, learn all that you can, and, and don't give up on it. I mean, I started this project two years ago, mm-hmm. and it's very interesting that almost two years to the date that I turned in the project to you, we're now doing a podcast about it, and... I'm now a graduate student. And you recently called me a month ago telling me you were accepted at the University of Idaho. That's so correct, that's yeah. pretty I, awesome. I, I got accepted, and the Caribou Project was my writing sample. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was able to submit it. And you're going to be able to use that, hopefully, as your your field work or your at least your project for getting your master's correct. degree. Correct. Which is really exciting. So so I know we've had several caribou sighted near the U.S.-Canada border, mm-hmm. and we they dip in and out of Montana, but tell us where they normally are distributed in Montana and Canada. So historically... Almost all of northwest Montana is historical caribou habitat. The animal has been extirpated since about the 1920s, more or less officially. But there have still been sightings of caribou that come in. They, they wander down from Canada, often in the rut. 
looking for cows, and they most frequently are seen up in the Yak or up near Eureka, but historically they've ranged all across the cabinets, as far south as the Bitterroots and Lolo Pass. There have been sightings recorded in Glacier Park. Uh, This is one of our native animals, so when it comes down, it's not like it's a foreign creature. And it's funny, you and I were just looking at the Montana hunting regulations. They appear in there, don't they? They are in there. If you go and look at the season (laughs) dates in in the deer and elk regulations, it shows caribou, no season. But they're a game animal. Uh, they are listed as a game animal still to this day. It's right in the Montana Code. And a species of special concern also. Correct. It was listed as a species of special concern. Right. So if you were to see one, you obviously can't hunt it. So as a, this final project you did in the, in the wildlife class, you put together this big report. Tell us a little bit about it. I know it has a history and current status and so on, but it must have been impressive enough for people to use that to, in part, give you this graduate project. So tell us a little bit about your report, what, what's in it. Well, so it starts off with kind of in the history of Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Park with actually Tim Manley's report. Tim Manley was the last gentleman who actually studied caribou and did a sort of habitat assessment. There's never been a population census done, but his is the closest we have. And his, his habitat and uh, species assessment was really a, a critical piece of work because it's sort of the connector between the ancient past and and now, so what I looked at my project was is expanding on his work to a certain degree. I mean, he was a large part inspiration for this because uh, it, w- it set the foundation. So I want to take what Tim Manley had started and then expand that to projecting whether or not we could maybe recover the species. We can recover wolves. We can recover grizzly bears. Uh, we're focusing on wolverines and lynx. Uh, why not add caribou to the list? That would- and I was kind of disappointed in how many universities turned it down but you know that's typical exactly i mean like like for example i wrote a bull trout paper that's now one of the most cited bull trout papers in the united states it got turned down by the first four publishers i tried oh my god that's back in the 80s but you know people like you said you get this great idea and so it's not everybody's gonna exactly adhere to it right away like i think what we heard were things like oh it's there's no chance of caribou in montana and that kind of thing well that's the whole person of the project is to try to determine if there is any That's feasibility right. in Montana, Idaho, okay. and so on. And like you said, it's thinking outside the box is what you did to bring this into. And, you know, one of the things you're thinking outside the box in, and I think you talked about this in your, in your project, is this idea of a possibility of a breeding pen. Correct. Tell us uh, about that. So if caribou were able to be recovered, we would have to start off with a maternal breeding program. Basically, we take several square miles of forested land and start breeding them in captivity to where we could get sustainable numbers and then begin releasing them in the wild gradually and then keeping the maternal breeding program alive in order to help sustain the recovery. Because they're, they're very sensitive to their habitat, they're very sensitive habitat needs. They're not like elk or deer that are very robust and can live in various different types of habitat or many different types of conditions. Caribou have very narrow, specific conditions. And isn't there some breeding pens that have, have worked in other areas? Yes. In the Calgary Zoo, uh, the Revelstoke Maternal Breeding Program up in Canada, they've, they've been very innovative on this. It's, it's, they definitely have some challenges that they have faced, uh, some very significant challenges. But the, the model is there, and the model does work. Let's talk a little bit more about their habitat. And I know we talked about the boreal forest, but this lichen that they eat, they have a crazy crazy kind of a diet where they, they eat do. lichen. Tell us about that. So in the, in the spring, summer, and fall months, they eat on a variety of shrubs, forbs, forbs and browse. Uh, but in the wintertime, what's critical is that when the deer and elk come down from the mountains and go into the lower valleys, the caribou actually go up. And when they're up there in the high mountains, they feed on 
boreal lichens. They can get into the terrestrial ones too on the ground. It's really the tree lichens that are the critical element to their to their food sources during these very harsh winter months. And if those lichens aren't there, then it's not going to work. They're a very deep climax forest animal. But you know, the one attempt at moving some caribou near the Canadian border from Deese Lake several years ago, what I understood from that is that they were Possibly predators were a part of taking them down the mountain line. Yes. And then the one that had tick paralysis, mm-hmm. that they had to go get. Yeah. Ticks will obviously always be a problem. That's really tough, difficult to mitigate against. But with the predation, it's, it's not that caribou and wolves can't live in the same habitat. They obviously can. The problem, is, more specifically, is the habitat alterations. Uh, as, as we had talked about before with the yak, for example, you go back 200 years ago in the yak when there were plenty of boreal caribou there there was no logging roads, all right? All the old growth forests were there. It was just this vast wilderness. And obviously there were still wolves there, but again, caribou migration patterns facilitated their ability to live. Now, that doesn't exist in a lot of spots in Northwest Montana because of, let's say, for example, the logging roads. These roads provide or act as a highway for wolves and other predators to cut into caribou habitat during the winters. And this lichen they eat is like the goat's beard or the Kalema lichen that clings to trees. And it's amazing they can survive in that. Let's Let's talk a little more about the, the caribou as, a, as an animal. So lifespan, 10 to 15 years, that's pretty similar to an elk or deer. Yep. Three to four feet high at the shoulder, 350 pounds for a male, 200 pounds for a female. So it's it's bigger than a mule deer, right? It is bigger than mule deer. Smaller than an elk, bigger than a mule deer. They're pretty impressive. Now, the, the, the tundra caribou, though, are smaller, right? Slightly so, smaller, yes. So the, the woodland caribou are definitely the, the largest of all the caribou. And this is a little trick question, but the caribou is the only ungulate the only hoofed grazer with antlers on both male and female. Is that right? That is correct. But some people might not recognize that. They might say, well, a bighorn sheep has <laughs> horn, horn, their horns, though. They're horns, not antlers. Not antlers. Car- Caribou right. is the only antler. And, it, and they have this gray-brown coat, thick, creamy white fur. They're really just beautiful animal, and they're really cute. Very cute. Cute little yeah. snout. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> snout. I noticed that on the... On the video that uh, they made when they reintroduced or tried to introduce those caribou from Deese Lake along the border at Eureka there, they're just a really a, a very pretty animal. And now tell us about the hooves. They have concave hooves with sharp edges. What, what are they doing with that? So unlike, a, a, say, a white-tailed deer where their hooves are more narrowly pointed, uh, a caribou's hoof is actually wide, it's sort of disc-shaped, slightly concaved, and so it acts like a snowshoe, and they almost walk on top of the snow during those deep packs and literally them walking in, in their hooves give them the ability to walk on top of the snow and the, the steeper snow levels give them a rise to get up into the trees and get those lichens. It also in their hooves can adapt by growing some hair on them in the winter time that can help it insulate and they, they actually can move. Very, not, I don't want to say like a mountain goat but it's somewhat similar in that they're okay. a little bit more flexible. So the natives have called them uh, Zalabu which means one who paws or snow shoveler. And today they're nicknamed gray ghosts for their elusive shy nature, as we mentioned. They communicate with a series of grunts and clicks, and uh, which is also pretty neat. The whole herd of them probably sounds like, you know, whatever they sound like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's actually kind of similar to, a, uh, it almost sounds like pigs in a way. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's really cute. It's, it's not like a big bull elk where it's making this gigantic roar. It's, it's just a soft-spoken... <laughs> and there's actually there's more than 100,000 woodland caribou in Canada, so there's yes. connectivity possibilities there. So your project on status and history in Montana and then the potential of looking at habitat in Idaho and Montana, what will be some of the first things you'll do? And we're just running out of time here, but like what's the first thing you'll do when you 
begin your, your study and your project? What do you want to do? Well, what I want to do is start harmonizing data from the Forest Service and the forestry side of things, and also then mixing that with predation data, and then actually taking all that and adapting it to understand whether or not it's possible to recover caribou, but then also actually start going into the field and actually having boots on the ground to assess portions of habitat, maybe in the yak, maybe in the cabinets. I haven't quite decided where the ideal spot is yet to start this, but then use that as a baseline, right? Then we have a baseline that can say it is possible in this environment, and then use that to expand to the ecosystem uh, writ large. Well, we're all pulling for you, and it's just an awesome thing that as a, a student here at FECC, you, you kept on this, you kept researching it and expanding it, and you've turned it into a graduate project, been successful. I know I've had a lot of people helping you, but Really, congratulations. Do you have a final work to say about it? No, I just, I think the thing is that is it's an animal to not forget about. We've been focused for a long time on wolves and grizzly bears, and that's important. That's good work, but there's still more work to do. Not all of Montana's animals have been recovered, and this is one of them. The ghost of the boreal forest. That's right? right. The ghost of the boreal forest, indeed. Thanks, Taylor. You're welcome. Thank you. That's all the time we have for this episode of the Nature Journal. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fraley, and I'll see you next week. 